Here's the lesson in front of us today on Abounding Grace. If God can do the work of revival in a body and even in a nation, can he not do the work of revival in you and your family and the people of your life? Can he not save people that have been written off? Can he not provide the flour and the oil that you need? Can he not send someone to plead with you for three, three separate times just pleading with you? Like, of course he can. This is amazing grace. Hi there, friend. Glad you could join us today for Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is in the middle of a series of studies in 1 Kings, and we're spending a little extra time looking at Elijah's life and ministry for good reason. There's a lot here to take in and apply. When tragedy strikes, like the loss of a loved one, questions tend to surface like, why? And we find that very question here in the story before us. A widow's son has become sick and dies. And Elijah takes this time to cry out to God in prayer. Let's be encouraged to keep praying no matter what as we join Pastor Ed. Chapter 17, where we learn from Elijah to pray no matter how it looks. Elijah's the Tishbite. He's a man with a message from God in a very dark and difficult time in the history of Israel. King Ahab and his wife Jezebel have led and plunged the nation into rank, rebellious idolatry. The worst of the worst, King Ahab, up to this point. And it's just a dark time. And in dark times, even the little bit of light shines, let alone a man like Elijah. And we learned last time that he meets a widow in verse 8 of chapter 17 uh, in the city of Zarephath, which is the hometown of Jezebel. Now, these events in Elijah's life are taking him and discipling him to the pinnacle of how God uses him, as we'll learn up on Mount Carmel, and then will sustain him as he comes down off that mountaintop experience and he runs away and hides in the caves. And just like Elijah, for you and me, everything in life is preparation for what's up ahead. Everything in life is something to learn from, to be discipled in, to grow in. Even if God calls you to a very unfamiliar place, Zarephath, to meet a Gentile widow who has a a faith in the God of Israel. And by the time we end the chapter today, that faith or that belief comes to fruition as she declares, notice in verse 24, I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. He comes to this poor widow who is struggling and suffering under the drought and asks for some water. While she's headed to get the water, he then asks for the flour and the oil, and the conversation is very tender. It's very sweet, and she gives, and she obeys. Notice in verse 11, as she was going to get it, the water, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I don't have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. 
And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we might eat it and die. The drought has been very difficult in her, in her home, in her life. Widows would suffer the worst. They have the least, and they would suffer the worst. And here's an example of someone suffering in Zarephath, the hometown of Jezebel. I mean, from the, from the human logic, it wouldn't make much sense in our minds to say, uh, as we're serving God, I want you to go to this place where Jezebel came from. And it wouldn't make much sense to meet this widow who has nothing. And it wouldn't make much sense to ask for water during a drought. And it wouldn't make much sense to ask from a widow to give you everything that she has, a handful. Take out your hand. Take out your hand. Go ahead, everybody, take out your hand. Show, look at your own hand and think of how much flour she had in your hand and a little bit of oil in the other hand. That's all she had. And then the sticks that she was going to make a fire and cook up this. She had nothing. And yet what happened and what did we learn? She gave everything. Because it's out of desperation that our hearts are moved toward giving. True sacrifice comes from desperation and not abundance. We tend to think that in times of abundance that that's the time to bless and to serve and to give. And you would be right. And we tend to think in times of desperation and times of need that that's not the time to give. And you'd be wrong. It's in times of desperation that our heart is then moved toward those that are also in a place of desperation. Giving releases the blessings of God in our life. Giving releases our hearts from covetousness and selfishness. Not in the way that the, the false teaching of the word faith movement that you give and you move the hand of God and if you give 10, God will give you. That's all nonsense. That's nonsense. Do you think that the widow, in her mind giving a handful of flour, thought that she would get the blessing back that she got? I don't think so. I don't think she's thinking, oh, if I give to this stranger who says he's from God, everything that I have, I'll have more than I'll ever need the rest of my life. No, her heart is moved. Her heart is moved. She's acting on what she knows. Elijah was telling this woman, as we learned in the entirety of our Bible study last time, he was instructing this woman, put God first and God will take care of you. Have faith in God and trust him. Whether you have a handful or a cupboard full, it's almost too basic to repeat. It's almost so simple that we shouldn't repeat it. It should be like breathing. Put God first in your life and he'll take care of those things that trouble you and cause you to lose sleep. Or put it this way, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, I memorized it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But from the New Living Translation, it says this, if, and he will give you all that you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And he will give you all that you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern, your primary concern. And as we tie together, there's really no set plan of how Bible studies line up in our church. 
uh, both because of where we are in a different book of the Bible on our weekend services and where we are on our Wednesday services and whether I have a trip and I'm out of town or we have a guest teacher coming on Wednesday. There's really no way, there's no way you could put these studies together. I mean, I guess you could, but it's better just to let the Lord do it. And what did we just learn this last weekend? What did we just learn but the faithfulness of God and the progression of faith and how important it is, how key it is, how how single-minded we must be to have the primary concern, those things related to God. The primary concern. Because there's so many other concerns, aren't there? We learned about the cares and concerns of life. We won't be able to eliminate them. Work, money, bills, family, kids, singleness, whatever it is, there's cares and concerns of life that can weigh a person down, that can weigh a gal down, can weigh even the strongest believers choking out the spiritual life from them. And what do we learn from Elijah thousands of years before the coming of Jesus? Well, this widow learned the lesson long before Jesus taught it to us, and that was simply this. Put God first. Trust him with your life. The order is always God first, matched with faith. And it's interesting as God, as he teaches people how to give, he always tells them uh, in, from the Old Testament all the way to give to God what? The second fruits. No, that's actually not what he says at all. That's not even a word. The Bible says to give God your first fruits. The primary concern is God. Primary, first, giving right off the top. Those that faithfully give God his share first seem to always find out that there's sufficient left afterward. Or those that give God first seem to live the life that they always have enough. They may not have more than enough, but they always have enough. God is always going to be found faithful. And this Gentile widow trusts God through the prophet, stepping out in faith. And we learned last time, remember in verse 15, that she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. She did according to the word of Elijah. I love that. It's a reminder that this becomes a prayer that when when we gather together and I'm driving home or I'm going down for the night or I'm thinking maybe I forgot and I wake up in the morning and I think back through the message and I think back of what's next and I try to tie everything together. One of the thoughts in my mind and one of the simple prayers is I pray that our church God goes according to your word. I pray their decisions are according to your word. I pray my decisions are according to your word. I mean, I'm, I'm a part of this church too. I'm just like, Lord, I just pray we go according to the word. There'll be so much less counseling. There'll be so much less nervousness and anxiety and worry going on in our church if we would just do according to his word. That we would act out so quickly in our lives and faithfully and sufficiently. And the result of her faith is that her needs were met miraculously as the flour and oil that she offered did not run out. Now, this is where we left off in verse 17. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And this is a spiritual truth, friends. It's true across the board. Tragedy strikes in the midst of God's faithfulness. As Peter would tell us and train us, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that is about to try you. You would think this is the pinnacle of this widow's life. 
She has more flour and more oil than she's ever seen, that she ever needs. God is completely faithful. She's rejoicing. They're probably talking about it. And I was like, this is amazing. God is so cool. Go check again. Check again. How, how, how much flour is left? More than you need. How much oil is left? And then right in the midst of God's faithfulness, tragedy strikes. With this abundance of oil and this abundance of flour and this abundance of water supplied by God in the good times, tragedy visits the widow. Her son becomes sick, verse 17, and the sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what have I done to you? What have I done with you, O man of God? Have you come? Have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. And so he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. And then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child. What does your Bible say? What are the next two words in your Bible? Three times. Mark those words. Three times. How many times does Elijah lay over him and stretch himself over in prayer? Three times. And he cries out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. And then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him back, brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother, and Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now by, now, by this I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Man, this is an amazing true story. In the midst of blessing, there's tragedy, which brings a natural response from the widow who's now mad at Elijah and blames him for this tragedy, which then affects Elijah, and then he begins to blame God, and he's all caught up in the emotion, which is a reminder to all of us that this is not an unusual response to grief or loss or difficulty. It's not unusual at all. It's a normal feeling in times of tragedy. Don't misunderstand me when I use this language. Normal doesn't mean good. It doesn't mean the right. It doesn't mean the appropriate. It just means normal. It's to be expected that a person feeling what they're feeling would respond in that way. Or often we'll share that when you're going through deep loss or difficulty, that the affirmation is very important to understand that what you're going through and how you're feeling and how you're responding is very normal for a person experiencing what you're experiencing. Normal doesn't mean acceptable. Normal doesn't mean sinless. It just means normal. And this is a normal response. It's God's fault. The very God that just supplied all the flour and oil now is the God who took her son and then Elijah, he responds, whoa, why would you bring this tragedy? And he accuses God of killing her son. And these are all emotional responses. And we have emotional responses. And the question in verse 20, in Elijah, the man of God, used mightily of God, the question, oh Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow by killing her son? There, that, if you like to write in your Bibles, let me give you the question in one word. You ready? Why? It's a why question. 
Why? You know, not only have we lost the son, but now the widow's mad. It's an emotional home. It's, it's, it's in the height, in the, in the midst of the moment. And, of the, and, and Elijah's like, why? And isn't it true that there are so many things in our lives where we just cry out, why? So people will call the radio station. They'll send me an email. I just received an email today uh, that in, in the long email with all the words that were typed, I can summarize that whole email with a, with a young lady uh, that lost a child, I can summarize the whole email in one word. She was asking me why. I haven't answered it yet, but I can answer it now. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't have that answer. I'm sure that I can go through the scriptures and, and when you're ready, when you're ready, when it's time, when God is a, allows the appropriate time, I can give you the theological understanding of God for the matter. But even with the most well-crafted theological answer, that still doesn't satisfy the hurting soul. The only thing that satisfies the hurting soul is a true touch of the Lord in your life and the deep experience of the Father's love to you, daughter, and to you, son. To know that God hasn't forsaken you or abandoned you in your time of need, in your time of difficulty, no matter what it might be. In those times where our first response is, why, Lord? Why have you done this to me? Why have you allowed? Why did you let her leave me? Why would you let him do that? Why would you allow this situation? Why? I don't know. I have to say earlier on in, in my ministry and serving the Lord, I used to attempt to answer that question rather foolishly. And anyone that's, anyone that's in a ministry or a church with a young pastor has to put up with the, ma- the growth and maturity of that young pastor, unfortunately. I'm not so young anymore. You still need to put up with my growth and maturity in many ways, but I'm not so young anymore. And through many mistakes and a few successes, I believe, or a few steps of obedience along the way, I've learned a lot more about the character and the nature of God. And I don't attempt to explain God to anyone anymore. I don't attempt to try to explain every situation and have an answer biblically for every situation. Truly, if, I, if you're listening to my voice right now and that seems to be kind of like the church you're a part of or the people you're around, they don't know either. They don't know either. You're around people that seem to always have the right answer. They don't know the ways of God. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we would do well to submit and wait for the revelation. And while we're waiting, to pray. One commentator put it this way. I think it was John Corson. And I quote, The father says, you want me to take away the pain and to solve the problem and to get you out of the situation, but that's not what you need. You need me. And the very problem that you're seeking to get away from, the very situation you desire to get out of, is the very one that's causing you to talk to me and to spend time with me and to depend on me. You'll be stronger when you're weak because you'll have no other choice than to draw strength from me. And you'll do better when you're weak because you'll have to rely on me. And here's the widow and here's Elijah in a place of deep reliance. What does Elijah do? After he cries out to God with this question, he says, bring bring your kid to me. And then in verse, and, and then he stretches himself out in verse 21, and three times. This, by the way, is the first mention in the Bible of, of life coming back to a lifeless body. It is the first mention of restoration of life. 
And as God is using Elijah, he's also teaching Elijah how to trust him, how to hold fast to him, how to lean into him, how to love him, how, how to wait on him. He's seeing God's power. The boy, a picture is an object lesson. And what's being burned into Elijah's mind is simply something like this. If God could raise a dead Gentile boy back to life in response to believing prayer, he could also revive the chosen people of Israel who would become spiritually dead. Now think about this. Think about this. If God can do the work of revival in a body and even in a nation, can he not do the work of revival in you and your family and the people of your life? Can he not save people that have been written off? Can he not provide the flour and the oil that you need? Can he not send someone to plead with you for three, three separate times just pleading with you? Like, of course he can. All these things that we're learning in the scriptures, these true stories... All these things are designed to build your faith and trust the God who sent his son Jesus. That You have more than Elijah had at the time. I have more. We have an abundance of deeper relationship. Why? Because the spirit of God lives in us. We're born again. The Bible says that we're involved in things that the prophets of old wanted to see. You get to see stuff that Elijah didn't even get to see. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace and part of our study in 1 Kings. Today's message is called, Keep Praying No Matter What. And you can hear it again online at calvaryaurora.org. Ed, perhaps there's someone listening right now that has experienced tragedy in their life, like this dear widow, and they're finding it hard to deal with the grief. What would you like to say to them? Well, you know, Larry, grief, especially around the holidays, seems to be magnified and None of us are immune to tragedy. And for those of you really wrestling with grief and dealing with the effects of tragic circumstances, I want you to know that God loves you and hasn't abandoned you. No matter what you're feeling, what you're going through, you know, the feelings that you're going through right now are very normal for a person who's experienced what you've experienced. And I just want you to know that you're loved and that not only does God love you, but we love you. And we often pray for those uh, that are dealing with the, the reality of overwhelming emotions, not finding the strength to go on, um, just wondering what the future might bring, um, just like the psalmist crying your eyes out when there's no more tears, and you know, going to bed at night with great sorrow, my heart's with you. You know, there's a part of me that just wish uh, I could remove. Uh, the circumstances from your life that could give you a relief for a few moments, but I know only God, through His Holy Spirit, can give us the comfort and the encouragement that we need. And recently, I pastor friend of mine, uh, a man that I look up to, called me around the uh, birth date of my my son, who would have been 32, and and he asked me how I was doing and checking in on me to encourage me. And then he asked me a question. He says, I don't even know if I can ask it, but I will, you know, or if I should have asked it, you know, that kind of awkwardness. And, and he says, you know, was this year easier than any of the previous years? And I could honestly answer him, yes. Uh, not that it was easy, but it certainly was easier because over the years, God has increased his comfort in my life given me a greater hope of heaven, allowed me to live persevering through the circumstances and using tragedy, as hard as it might seem right now to believe this, but using tragedy 
in a way to draw me in deeper, uh, more effective, surrendered relationship with him. And I just, my heart is with you and praying for you, especially as the holidays right here in, you know, in the middle of this holiday season, Christmas up ahead, Thanksgiving in the rearview mirror, that the Lord will bless and strengthen and comfort you. Well said, my friend. Thank you for that. Here in the month of December, we picked out a great book we think you'll enjoy and get a lot out of. It would even make a great Christmas gift. It's called The Case for Christ. Like a journalist would do, Lee Strobel does a personal investigation, searching out evidence that would either confirm or deny Jesus as the Son of God, Savior of the world. And we'll send it to you when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more today. Please remember that it's through your support that we're able to bring Abounding Grace to your radio station every day. Maybe the Lord is stirring your heart to get involved in this radio ministry. We are so thankful for each and every gift that comes in, large or small. We can be reached toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or turn to calvaryaurora.org. Again, we can be reached at 877-30-GRACE. Set aside another half hour to join us next time when we'll dig deeper into 1 Kings with Pastor Ed Taylor here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You lay down your life That I would be set Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 